everybody welcome to the 123rd edition of the holy backboard i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling in uh beaverton oregon really happy uh you know like living in portland just that action of moving from southern oregon to here like my my enjoyment of life has just gone up so much so i'm so happy to be broadcasting live in beaverton oregon but my god, dog, there's some dude, when the nights are so- somewhat bearable, will go into the park near my house, and until 9 o'clock on the dot, just practices drumming, like just straight paradiddles on his drum set outside in the park every night that it's like decent out. I'm so glad he stopped <laughs> before we started recording, but he he was drumming the entire, from like 8 to 9, he was just drumming his little heart out. Can't knock the hustle. I guess, but man, it, it uh, what he's doing is just basically going right to left on his drum set for an hour outside. But uh, back to the show. <laughs> yeah, but back to hoops. Uh, so we are one week away from the season kicking off against the Lakers on TNT. Blazers have one more preseason game left. Sage... What have you been following along? Not just poor, obviously we've been watching the Blazers, but like it's, it's still baff, not baffles me. It, it's incredible how much drama the NBA oh my is God, able yeah. to provide on a daily hourly basis. Uh, so before we even kick it off with the Blazers, I, I think the Jimmy Butler situation deserves a, a quick little segment and this is something I have never seen before, and I, I think social media has, has a lot to do with mm-hmm. it, but we hear that the trade request comes in, nothing's happened. We hear Woj and Shams and all of the, these insiders, and you know teams aren't offering up anything. Minnesota really actually wants to keep him. Thibodeau obviously wants to keep him. He's the, uh, the coach and the president of basketball ops. You hear the dysfunction between the owner saying, no, Jimmy Butler is available. If you can't get through uh, to Thibodeau, come see me directly. Op- opposing teams are left scratching their heads. It- it's something like I've never seen before. And then it all culminated yesterday in Jimmy Butler returning to practice, basically calling everyone out. If you've seen the movie Half-Baked, it's basically the dude quitting his fast food job yelling, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, fuck you, I'm out. Except he doesn't leave the building. He goes directly into a meeting uh, interview with Rachel Nichols of ESPN and lays it all on the line. You know, I appreciate the dude's honesty. It, it makes for, for great entertainment. Oh, yeah. But one, have you seen anything like this before? And two... Does this help or hurt his trade value around the league? I think I've seen it once before, but it was, again, This Baron Davis did something similar like that to, in New Orleans where he just was healthy and sat out the entire year as a fuck you to the city of New Orleans. 
but nothing like this where it's just so public. I mean, what Baron did was in the early 2000s. It wasn't like and the social media giants. But man, like, I think he's just going to keep showing his ass until he gets traded. And I'm I'm cool with it. Like, he's being honest in a way like, I don't think Kat's main number one thing is winning. And Jimmy's is Jimmy is all about we're winning a chip or competing at a high level. So in a way that like I I I fuck with what Jimmy's doing, like saying I am dedicated to winning. But the one thing he did that was kind of you know fraudulent is he wanted to go to these teams that have no chance of winning, just have a shitload of cap room. So in one hand he's saying all the right stuff, and then he's like. You know, the L.A. Clippers or the New York Knicks, that's the spot I want to go to. Or the Brooklyn Nets? Get the fuck out of here. None of those teams are trying to win. They're trying to, like, get assets, develop young talent, and then trade them for stars. They ain't ready for Jimmy Butler. And his career clock is kind of accelerated because he has played so many years. He was in Marquette for... Was he a senior at Marquette? Yeah, so it's like... You've put in your work, you've developed into a really fantastic player, but dog, it's kind of like a win-now thing. You probably want to go to a team where you can compete. And this isn't the first time Jimmy Butler has caused a ruckus. There were rumors and reports that he and Derrick Rose didn't get along in Chicago. Uh, So this isn't the the first time. uh, And he had the the shit with uh, uh, Rondo two years ago. I mean... he might be a shitty person to work with. Yeah, that, <laughs> but that, he's talented. That could be the case. And so, you know, you almost have to take everything with a grain of salt because we obviously don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Uh, one thing to keep an eye on is the Minnesota Timberwolves. They're obviously in the Western Conference in the Northwest Division. And when he was healthy, they were the third best team in the Western Conference last year. Obviously, that changes now. But is there any chance that him coming in there, basically providing alpha dog status to a team that desperately needs it, is there any chance that this works in Minnesota's favor for this season and they galvanize and just unite around one another and just basically come out with a fuck you attitude and kill it? I mean, there's always that chance, but Jimmy Butler... He said some he said some pretty zesty things about his teammates, like saying, you know, Cat doesn't really want to win. Uh Wiggy is like the most skilled player he's ever seen, but hasn't lived up to the potential. It's like, yo, you've said some pretty harsh stuff. But I, I think winning cures all. You forget about like the the fuck you stuff that you've said when you're winning together and like building that culture that Jimmy in his interviews just wants so so badly. Yeah, my hope is that it it doesn't unite the Wolves. I think Portland needs as much help as possible to to make it to the postseason. And with the injuries to DeJounte Murray um, tearing his ACL, I think that really solidifies San Antonio as a team that's probably going to be on the outside looking in. And Andre Robertson hasn't fully came back yet for Brooklyn or excuse me for OKC and Russell is is still who knows with Roberson's like months away from getting back. Yeah, so 
there is a good chance for Portland to make a statement early on and get a jump start, get a mm. head start on these teams, which they did not do last year. They lost seven straight at home, dragged ass for the third straight year until they finally realized, oh, hey, we have to kind of play together as a team, play some defense and move the basketball. And get and, those boards. Yeah, win some games or else we're going to find ourselves on the couch come come you know playoff time. And that's certainly something that none of us want to see. So for Portland, they need to get out to a quick start. And have you what what have you seen so far this preseason? Obviously, the wins and losses don't matter. Portland has uh, four preseason games under their belt. Uh, they played Toronto in Vancouver, BC, hit the road to Phoenix, played the Utah Jazz on Sunday, the Suns again at home mm-hmm. on Wednesday, and then they wrap it up Friday against the Kings. So really outside of the the Jazz and the Raptors, not stellar competition. Damon CJ obviously rested heavily the second half of the Jazz game and all of the Phoenix game. But what have, what have you seen so far, Sage? What are your takeaways from the, the 2018 preseason? Positives. Anthony Simons, he may be raw. I don't think he's playing much this year, but he has an NBA skill in generating space to get his shot. And we've seen it. Like, he has dribble combos. He has, like, the crossover hezzy that generates a lot of space. And he's not afraid to go to the rim. So, like, Anthony Simons has been just this, this, this bright shining star in the Blazers backcourt. And I wish, I hope we get to see him a lot in the, in the next game coming up. Um, negatively, like, the thing I've noticed a lot is our bigs are just trying to throw passes in really, really tight corners. Like, I see Myers Leonard's do, like, touch passes, and, like, the rest of our bigs trying to, like, do these really perfect pocket passes to cutters, which, in theory, is a good idea, but when it's Myers Leonard or any of our bigs, really, like, that touch pass is a little too uh, too high risk for us, and, like, with how hard it is for us to get those easy baskets in the future, I think we need to chill with all of those big, you know, passing it to the cutter on a really, really tight window type yeah, of place. Yeah, slow your roll. Arvita Sabonis ain't walking through that door. Bill Walton is not walking through that. No, it's Myers Leonard throwing touch, but no look touch passes it's to Jake Lehman. Myers, though. Yusuf Nurkic is a... Oh, absolutely. Favorite. Oh, yeah. Is Nurk is actually culprit number one on my list. He is so sloppy with that basketball and... I hope it's just preseason, but you can't turn the ball over. We look at that Utah game. Portland really should have won that contest. But what kept Utah in the game, Portland committed 16 first half turnovers, Mm -hmm. all via shitty, lazy passes. Um, A lot of the loss had to do with the Blazer bench coming in and just kind of uh, basically throwing the game away. <laughs> never want to see preseason or not, you never want to see a team put a 19-0 run on your on your squad over the last like 4 minutes of the game. Uh that's just not a good look and thankfully Portland righted the ship, blew out Phoenix without Damon CJ and really played a well-rounded game. I, I think for me it's been a mixed bag and I think probably for most teams it's been a mixed bag. One thing that that gives me hope, I think our starting five is is really fantastic. It, it reminds me 
of the the 2013-2014 season when we kind of surprised everyone, had that 13-game win streak. Uh, We had Dame, we had Wes, Nick, LaMarcus, and and Robin. And our starting five was, I would put that five up against any five in the league. Problem was, when you got to that bench. (laughs) Wasn't it Mo Williams and no one else? It was Mo Williams, and it was Darrell Wright, and... Thomas Robinson a little bit. Will Barton was raw as hell. I believe we still had Victor uh, Victor Claver, and we had rookie uh, Joel Chique, Freeland, and we had second year Myers. So we really and Joel Freeland like mm-hmm. the bench was horrible, and the bench is horrible this year too. Prepare yourself, Blazer fans. I think we're going to see a handful of games this year where the starters look fantastic but we're going to lose the contest because the bench can't keep it up and the starters just aren't going to have enough gas left in the tank to pull away. Mm. And it's probably going to come against teams where they're equally matched or even a better team. So, you know, if we jump out to a 12, 15 point lead against the Warriors, I mean, that could be gone in three minutes if, if the bench comes in. And so, you know, Terry Stotts has, uh, a lot of decision making to do. I think it's going to be one of his more strategically challenged seasons. Absolutely. Is he going to have to play Damian or CJ on the floor, at least one of them at all times? Because what I've seen and noticed is there's not another playmaker on this roster. It is Damian Lillard and no one else. Yes, Seth Curry can shoot the ball. And he can run a basic pick and roll. But yes, we, we love you know Wade Baldwin's defensive potential, but neither of them is a distributor or someone who's looking to get them uh, looking to get their um, teammates involved and knowing where they like the the, the ball uh, on the spot of the floor. Turner, we've we've been down that road. That, that's just not a viable option. So just getting into our offense, I think, is going to be a challenge. And then you're just really relying on a lot of players who are on their last chance or are very youthful. You know, they're very youthful in terms of, you know, Simons and Trent. Um a last chance guy, I think, is Nick, Nick Stauskas. Mm-hmm. This year, he's out of the league. Um, you got a guy coming off of a, a season-long injury in Seth Curry, who looked good for stretches of the, the preseason. But, you know, how is that going to hold up? How is his conditioning going to do? Since, you know, he did, he basically has a year of basketball to make up. And what really bothers me and concerns me, like like you mentioned before, are, are bigs. Um it's been, I think the biggest disappointment has been Zach Collins and Caleb yeah. mm-hmm. And I hate to keep harping on that 2017 draft class, but to me, that 2017 draft set the franchise back much further than that summer of 2016 where we handed out contracts like candy. Uh, contracts can be moved, contracts can be waived, they can be stretched, however you slice and dice it, but... When you have three picks and the most loaded draft in, in ages, and there are players like Jordan Bell, Kyle Kuzma, Donovan Mitchell, um, OG Ananobi, and now even Harry Giles is, is kind of taking the preseason by storm, and you walk away with with two bigs who really it's one might be out of the league in a couple of years, and the other, if he becomes a starter, you're you're thrilled. But with, with Swanigan, he hasn't. Um, he just hasn't developed. He's it. not disciplined defensively at all. Like if he's against a stretch big, he'll run to the like the paint every possession. But then he realizes, oh shit, this is Kyle Kuzma. I can't be doing this shit, and runs back. But 
you know, smart team, like, you know, if we're playing the Lakers opening day, Zach, I mean, uh, Caleb does that exact play that he's done every single time down on defense where he runs to the paint and then realizes he fucked up. Rondo's gonna pick that out every single time and Kuzma's going for 40. Like, he, he's not disciplined when matchups are concerned. And damn, our, our backup bigs are not laterally quick at all. We have a lot of the same dude. Like, Nurk, Myers, and Caleb are basically the same type of body structure. So we have, like, we would beat the crap out of, like, the 2001 Sixers or something with all of our bigs. But in this day and age of basketball, it's like, man, who's going to chase Ryan Anderson around the hoop the entire game? None of those. So it's basically going to be Chief and Zach the entire time? Shit. And I would say for, for Zach Collins, he still has shown the same defensive principles, and I think that will keep him in the league. But, you know, I think if we're really holding him and championing him as, you know, the future and this potential, I, I'm just not seeing it. By no means am I giving up on him. I think, you know, a lot of players have taken longer to develop but Zach is a player who got time in quality time as a rookie and outside of his pick and pop three, he doesn't have anything to offer on the offensive end of the floor. He can't back down smaller players. His post moves need a shit ton of work. Um, so he needs to get in that gym too. It, it so it just looks like we kind of drafted a specialist, which is fine. But at the same time, you look at everybody that was drafted after them and it just feels like a huge miss. Um, if we're looking at potential, to me, Simons now becomes that guy. Mm-hmm. He he has a potential to be great. Zach Collins has potential to be pretty good. And, you know, I think looking at where they were drafted and in what draft classes, that's not a good um, outcome if you're yeah. a little Shea or a Trailblazer fan. But what I will say and what has looked good, Dame is Dame. I think he's poised for a fantastic year. I don't think we need to go into that too often, but... Two players have, have really kind of caught my eye, and I think they're two very important players. The first being C.J. McCollum. Uh, Chris Haynes mentioned that he had the, I think, the, the PPR injection mm. after the season. So hopefully that's what was nagging him a little bit, in a sense, because he had a subpar season. I think we all discussed and can agree that he was just over-dribbling, trying to make too much happen, and his shot wasn't where it needed to be. He's looked much more quicker, decisive. And the shots back, if we can get him to where he is now in that potential all-star discussion, Portland's going to be in, in, in good shape. So CJ has looked fantastic early on in the preseason. And Yusuf Nurkic, um, defensively, he looks like he could challenge for all defensive honors. Uh, the way he is altering shots at the mm-hmm. rim, um, sticking with his man, really clogging up that paint. If he can continue to do that and be our defensive anchor, he's going to keep Portland in a lot of games. I think, yes, it was preseason, but he completely outplayed Rudy Gobert. Gobert was a, a non-factor. Nurk was boxing him out. He was tipping rebounds to his teammates. Uh, I don't, I think Gobert maybe ended up with, with one dunk, which is pretty impressive given, you know, Gobert's uh, talent and length. And so the one thing I, I want to watch out for Nurk is his shot selection. Oh, and God damn. I know we gave him the green light to shoot threes, and, and it did work. Against Utah, he hit two of three, which did bring Gobert out of the paint and opened it up for the rest of the guards to operate. But I think two threes is probably the max we should put on, and any three you make after that is another one you can attempt. But 
Uh, I really want to see him finishing around the rim, which he has done fantastically this year, especially off of the pick and roll. But those 18-footers got to stop. Those threes in transition got to stop. Like, the big man needs to stay in the paint. Like, you maybe get one per half, but let's let's not make this a thing. Mm. I was a big Alonzo Mourning fan when he was young and good at basketball. And one thing I noticed as a kid is when Alonzo made his first long shot, he was staying out there for the entire game. And I knew... That his team was gonna lose once he did that shit. I kind of have a feeling that Nurk, if he makes his first three of the game, is gonna be drifting out of the three point line. I mean, like we both play basketball. Being in the paint sucks compared to shooting threes in terms of like your body after the game, how much effort you put in. If you run from three point to the post, three point to the post is a lot easier than post to post every possession so i'm kind of worried about what nurk will do once that first three-pointer goes in and to go to cj mccollum he definitely looks better but the thing that the wrinkle that i like in his game is that he's going to he's being more aggressive and getting to the line and he he's too good of a player to only go to the line two and a half times a game we need to be our guards Simon's included. Like we can get to the line with attacking on, uh, uh, attacking the paint. I'm I'm happy with how CJ's put it on his shoulders to at least tack more. Yeah, definitely. I think that's where Dame really excels is at getting those easy buckets, getting those, I uh, you know, kind of cheap points. Like you just drop out, you're at the free throw, nobody's guarding you. You get to the line ten times over 30 year points are at the line you know so and you're putting the opposing bigs in foul trouble which is or the guard yeah exactly you stress the defense and i can't emphasize that enough it's what harden and paul do um for houston but if you're able to put so much stress on the defense where they have to worry about multiple players getting to the line getting into the paint um dishing to open shooters or open uh you know guys around the rim it just causes the defense to break down late in games because you're you're bending for so long sooner or later you're gonna break I, I think one big question this year the small forward position mo harkless says he's probable for for friday night's game uh, against the sacramento kings but we've heard that the last two nights it, it to me it's alarming that he's, mm-hmm. he's hurt uh i it to be completely honest when report came out he wasn't playing or he was hurt against Toronto, I was like, what, Mo was hurt? When did this happen? Mm-hmm. Like, it was such a minor injury to me at the end of the season. I was like, oh, yeah, he's going to be fine. The season's six months away. So the fact that it's not healing and now his ankle is hurt because he's, you know, overcompensating, like that that is not a good sign. I've seen this happen with so many teams where they'll be like, oh, he's going to play next week. And then when next week happens, he's going and getting that next MRI, and then they're realizing, oh shit, he's not playing for four months, guys. This isn't, this isn't good. So, like, in the back of my mind, I've seen it happen so much, it's like, they're gonna string us along with Mo Harkless. And man, that small forward position, if Hark is gone or hurt, we are going to be running that small ball lineup quite a bit. <laughs> so Harkless is out. If he continues to stay out, 
who is the October November starting starting three? Finishing games at Seth Curry. Starting games, it might be Evan Turner, but I think most games. I, I dog, I know, but look at our bench. Are you? Do you feel more comfortable with Jake the Snake Layman? Yes. Yes, I never <laughs> see Evan Turner play basketball in a Blazer uniform again. That that's gonna he's gonna play basketball in a Blazer no, uniform. I know, and we have two more years of this shit, but I can't take it anymore. So <laughs> I stood up so hard for that dude when he struggled early on. Like I, you know, defended him, and he just does not work in Portland. Bottom mm-hmm. line, and I don't want to see any more of it. I think Seth is finishing games against eighty percent of teams. If we're playing the Warriors, Lakers, teams with a dominant small forward is basically what I'm getting at, Milwaukee, he probably won't finish games. But against, like, we play Denver four times a year. I think he could handle Will Barton. And if Will Barton is posting him up every possession, that really takes away from what the Nuggets do well with their motion offense. So I would feel comfortable running a three-guard lineup to finish games kind of like what New Orleans did. We'd probably have to get bigger, like Zach's probably going to have to finish games, but like I'm fine with a three-guard lineup. So I think this is a good segue into one of our fan questions from um, Bob Degar. He wants to know, is Jake the Snake for real now? Or was last night just one of those random rare nights where he was in the zone he basically outscored the Suns by himself in the first quarter. I think he ended up with like 28 points. He was hot. He was he was feeling good. I don't think I think this is a kind of a fluky game. But you know if he's developed so much in the 2 months we, that we haven't been able to see him, that's fantastic and it will help our team, but I'm kind of pessimistic that Jake the rattlesnake will be a a huge factor in our team. Here's what I think. I think at the moment, it was a fluke. Let's not forget he hit like six or seven threes in his first game ever against the Warriors and literally could not throw it in the ocean the rest of the season. Let's also not forget that Pat Connaughton came out of nowhere and had 24 opening night against the Phoenix Suns and was basically a non-factor for the rest of the season. Um, Guys like Tony Delk ended up scoring 51 points like Random NBA players, they're super talented, and they can get hot on random nights. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody in the NBA can absolutely get biz. So I would chalk it up to that. However, with Mo Harkless maybe uncertain in terms of his injury status, let's give Jake a shot like we gave Pat and see if he really is for real because that's the only way to find out. I personally would love for that to happen because, you know, he is bouncy He's got size. He's able to probably play at the three or the four, provide shooting. He can get some boards and even showed, you know, a little nice touch uh, to pass the ball. He had a few assists as well. But, you know, he provides another threat. He spaces the floor. But I really like his ability to finish around the rim. So let's give him a shot. I think he has at least just he earned. Yeah, he's earned the shot with his preseason performance. He's earned it most definitely. And with the uncertainness of Mo Harkless. Dude, tomorrow we could see a tweet from Woj that says, like, reevaluate in two months. That is a total possibility. So, yeah, Jake might get a lot of run in the first part of the year with 
they're just the whack, the whack small forwards that we have as uh, on our team. Like it's probably the worst set of small forwards in the NBA, right? I I think hands down, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, you're gonna get your shot because you're six eight and can play basketball. You're gonna get your shot on this team. But uh, if I was to guess. It's Seth Curry in that three-guard lineup last five minutes of a game in a close one. So after seeing four preseason games, I believe we both had Portland sixth in the Western Conference. Yeah. You can't change your prediction, but would you if you could? <sighs> I'm going to let it run. I think Dame and CJ and Nurk to an extent can get us there. And especially with like the the explosive potential of so many teams right now with the drama and like LeBron with like the seven nutcases that are already on his team. There's I mean, we're 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 good at making the playoffs. I don't know if we're good at getting to the second round of the playoffs, but we're good at making it and sixth feels good. So I I, I would keep it. Yeah, I think it's too early to deviate from the prediction. I would say if we just had one more solid bench, if we had Ed Davis, I would possibly move us up a bit because of OKC's uncertainties. I think we're a better team than Utah, but they have the depth and they still play better defense and defense travels. Portland, I think, is going to rely on that three a little bit too much this year. And our favorite phrase, it really aligns with a lot of high variance results so there's going to be a 13 game win streak and maybe like a seven out of eight where we lose so um i do think portland is a better team we saw that in preseason when the starters were on the floor it it really wasn't a question it was just when portland really went garbage time that that utah was able to come back but portland's got to protect that home floor and they weren't able to do that last year but on the subject of the blazers bench a uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Brandon Goldner, host of the Trailcasters, wants to know the Blazer bench has more shooting than it did last year. Uh, is that enough to make up for what was lost when nope. we got rid of Ed Davis and even Pat Connaughton and Shabazz Napier? Nope, because we were the best team at rebounding in the 13-game streak and in the second half of the year, we were the best rebounding team. We got significantly worse at rebounding. And we got some shooting. I mean, like, I feel like the calling card of this team should be rebounding and ending possessions. And we got significantly worse. And then Ed Davis was like the top offensive rebounder in the the, the NBA. So we lost all those Kobe assists. The one thing I did notice is Nurk definitely learned something from Ed Davis. You saw the tap outs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, like, Ed Davis is, like... What he has done in the last three years is still very prevalent in our team. He's just not there to be the elite rebounder. But like when you see the tap outs, that's what Ed Davis brought to us. Like his mentorship of our young, you know, bigs. He definitely was there to mentor him. But man, with the depth of our bigs, I would much rather have Ed Davis and then guards from the scrap heap. <laughs> Yeah, I I have to agree. I really am stoked on Seth Curry. I I haven't seen enough from Nick Stauskas yet. I know the broadcast is trying to. Oh, they're 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 on that hype night of shit. 
Yeah, they're trying to pump him up. I haven't seen it. I'm very skeptical about Stauskas, a guy who couldn't get off the bench. A horrible Philadelphia team before the process came came back from health and just a Brooklyn team. Brooklyn team, yeah. That didn't even sniff the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. And um, so Nick Stauskas, we kind of touched on him. Like he still would be available in free agency right oh, now. Oh, yeah, he'd be. In, yeah, yeah had we not picked him up. So I am not sold on Stauskas. I do really like Seth Curry. I do too. But Ed Davis not only provided the rebounding in defense, but I still feel like he had some intangibles that haven't been filled. He was the heart and soul of that team. You know, what's going to happen if we go on the road and we drop three straight, who else in that locker room is going to be the voice? Yep, Dame? The it can't just be Dame. It just can't be your star player. You have to have someone who is going to step and fight and really vocalize what needs to get done. And right now, I, I just don't see it. Um, yeah, who, where's our uh, old vet that's been successful in the past, but, you know, can still somewhat bring it on a nightly basis? You need someone that actually can play and be that vet. Yeah, the, so... The person yeah. I wanted us to bring in, which we couldn't, but was Emeka Okafor. I know it's not a sexy name at all, but we don't need sexy. We needed rebounding and setting screens but he got picked up by the Sixers like there still are vets out there but I think right now Neil is thinking that Myers Leonard can be an actual fourth big in this NBA and what I've seen in the past makes me think he is not a legitimate fourth big on in the NBA I cannot believe Myers Leonard is the fourth big on our team by the way well it's not even Myers to me I think we let Ed Davis go because Neil is obviously very high on Zach Collins, probably on Swanigan. I don't think Swanigan's ready to take on that role. I would rather have Ed Davis than Myers play. And I, I really think if, if Collins struggles out of the gate or maybe doesn't have the type of sophomore season we're hoping for, it could be because he played so well with Ed Davis that, that they always came in together. They were paired together. Um, in the substitution patterns, and they just worked fantastically mm. on the court. And, you know, Pat Connaughton, take it or leave it. I, I did not mind him moving on. We essentially filled his role with, with Gary Trent Jr. Jake Lehman internally took his role as well and, you know, looks to be someone who can provide similar uh, attributes out on the court. Um, Napier, that could be a tough one to, to, to fill. Um, like I said, I feel like he definitely was a shoot first guard, but he at least had some play. He could dribble. He had some playmaker. In this <laughs> game. So, you know, Wade Baldwin, he, he showed out for a couple games, but he now has to prove it for an entire 82 game season. So there's just still a lot of variables. I would feel much more comfortable with Ed Davis leaving had Collins and Swanigan showed a little bit more. So I think it's less to do with the shooting and more to do with our big men that God, we, we really could use Ed Davis right now. Who would you rather have Seth or, uh, uh, Ed? I mean, it's Ed Davis. I think he is the better NBA basketball player. Yes. I know Seth Curry shoots the three point shot, which everybody seems to be falling in love with right now. Side note. Teams need to quit shooting so many threes, like all across the league, not just like all across the league. I feel like move the line back a bit because, you know, I was at the preseason game and it was like every other shot felt like a three pointer. And, you know, to me, that's not basketball that I want to watch at the NBA level. I, I like the 
the teamwork. I like the the ball movement. I like seeing different varieties of shots, whether it's, you know, the, the mid range post up layup three, you know, just different varieties. It feels like everyone is, is shooting a three. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's just how like the trend is in the NBA right now. And teams... but it's not fun to watch. <sighs> not particularly, but I don't think we're going to see a shift away from it until a team zags while everybody zigs. So like a team that's successful that actually does other things with the basketball other than shoot threes and lay-ins. In this preseason, I've watched Wade Baldwin have to like literally back, protect the ball and then like basically post up to get past the half court line. And it makes me think that Wade Baldwin should be defending the lead guard, but not be the lead guard on offense. Because I don't think his passing is good enough. Because you see the play that he's trying to make, but like, whatever, the passing angle's wrong, or like the pick and roll just isn't working for whatever reason. Like, I don't think he's the type of guy that we can trust with running that second unit. How do you feel about Wade Baldwin as the primary ball handler in the second unit? I would say it's only preseason, but. He hasn't stood out in any sing- in any way, shape, or form. Not positively, not negatively. He's just been there. And I think for someone who had such a strong summer league and had some pretty good moments at the end of last year, that's not that's not a good position to be in. Like he should have been noticed. He should have been heard and seen and disrupting plays. Haven't seen the tenacious defense. GP's um, been more scrappy than yeah so I, I almost feel like <clears throat> I, I hope he's not complacent now that he has a spot on the team but I, I think he's gonna have to earn his playing time I think Dame and CJ are gonna log a lot of minutes like you said Seth Curry's probably either gonna be in that finishing five or being in that three guard lineup where they're, they're at least two of the three are always on the floor at the same time and Baldwin whether it's injury foul trouble fatigue when he comes in he's gonna have to make the most of his moments otherwise you know, he could be getting He's very deals. replaceable. Very. I know people love him, but 90% of this team is very replaceable in regards to skill level. Yeah, I need to see the Wade Baldwin who hounded James Harden. And, and, and Chris. Still. Yeah, I yeah. need to see that. I haven't seen that yet. <clears throat> it, it, it makes me worried. Like, dude, I've watched a lot of bad point guards in, the, in my time, and so have you. But at least those guys don't need to like dribble protect the ball damn near every time down the floor. So that makes me worried. I think he could be a great combo guard, but uh th- not a great, but like he can be a combo guard, but I don't know. I wouldn't trust him to be the playmaker and man like what shit is Jose Calderon doing anything or something like that cuz I don't I don't trust Wade right now as my point guard. Well, we have one more game to sort everything out before the lights get a little bit brighter and Portland takes on the Lakers Whew. one week from today on the 18th at 7.30 on TNT. We will podcast next week. We will preview the games like we always do, get back into the weekly habit. Just wanted to- I can't fucking wait to do this shit. Uh, 
Let, let's get it. Like I said, it's been an odd summer and, you know, preseason is much shorter this year. And I guess, thankfully, all of the drama has been across other NBA rosters this year. So it's just been a little uh, laid back. So we're just getting back into the swing of things. Definitely wanted to wrap some preseason with you and you know discuss what we're seeing. And I cannot wait. We will preview the Lakers and the Spurs next week. Be on the lookout for that episode. But for now. If you like what you're hearing, you know, give us that that five star rating. Leave us a you know a comment. You can subscribe to this podcast, Holy Backboard, on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're on social: Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Holy Backboard. Sage, any final words? I want. I definitely do have a lot of plugs, but before I get into the plugs, hype meter. What are you? One out of ten on the hype meter. Ten meaning super extra hype. One meaning blah. Where are you on that hype meter for the Blazers season? Right now at this moment? Yeah. Seven. That's actually better than I thought, honestly. <laughs> it's... I'm preparing myself for a disappointing season. I know that's, uh, for some, that may be a, a, a shitty... Outlook to have so early, but you know I've been a fan since I was five years old. Um, I've seen a lot of shit. I've seen the Blazers um, really do a lot of good things, but really screw up a lot of things as well. Like I've I've seen it all, and I really am worried about this bench. So unless they make a, a trade or a move to bolster that bench, I just think it it has an opportunity to be a frustrating season where the starters play so well and then the bench just comes in and we're, we're fighting every night. But the reason why I'm excited is it's, it's really Dame. It, it's, he's so phenomenal that I'm excited to watch him play every night. I feel like whenever he's on the floor, Portland has a chance to win. Mm. And I think that's a special player to have on your roster. And he, you know, he does give us hope that, you know, maybe he, he takes his game. If there's another level to go, that the rest of the team can go with him. And obviously he and CJ have great chemistry. Nurk uh, is, is still quite young and providing that defensive anchor that we need. We just, we just need a few other players to, to get on their level and really go on this ride because this team has potential. Um, you know, just because I think it may be a disappointing season doesn't mean it has to be that way. Like mm-hmm. I still think they could finish third in the West. Um but they could also finish 10th and miss the playoffs. There's just so many variables that go into that, whether it's health, the competition of the Western Conference. Um, like I said, fatigue, if Damon CJ are having to log a ton of minutes early on, you know, they're going to inevitably wear down as the season goes on. And that's, you know, the opposite of what you want to happen. So um, I think it's such an unpredictable season. Like, uh, you know, we're, we're not contenders by any means, but, you know, I think playing the Lakers opening night, obviously get you hyped. I definitely want to see the team make a playoff push. I was really excited. I was definitely at a 10 during that 13 game win streak. Thought we had something special, but then they go out and do something like get swept in the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, that to me as a blazer fan, like you're a good team. You're going to have flashes of brilliance, but don't, don't blink. It could flip, you know, in the bat of an eye. So that's why I'm at, at a seven, you know, cautiously optimistic. But yeah, I like, still, I, I like cop- cautiously optimistic. You know, but still, you know, understanding that things could happen or go wrong. You know, hopefully not, but preparing myself mentally. Like I used to take 
losses extremely hard. They would ruin my day. And really, that's not what sports are about, not what I want it to be about. I want to, you know, watch sports for the enjoyment. And obviously, there are some some big games where a loss does bum you out for for a while. But, you know, being emotionally tied that much every single night, just too much. So that's why I tend to have more of a pessimistic outlook where it's like, okay, if things go wrong, I'm already mentally prepared for that. And if things go right, even better. So that's where you kind of get that that tone especially I think on the podcast overall. I think I'm at a six of the, on the hypo meter and uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, but for the plugs, I got some plugs developing new shows for Sage digital going to be on the radio at a uh, blazer's edge in the next few weeks. Check me out there. And then every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, check me out at, Mixer.com slash Dasage, D-A-S-A-G-E. Fuck with me. And we're out of here. We out. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.